0: Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I don't know how you cannot get excited hearing a bass drop like that. It was fun, you know what I'm saying? Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? It is Palm Sunday, so I want to do something a little bit different. Let's give God about ten seconds of praise in this place this morning. Come on, clap your hands. It's Palm Sunday. Just reminded, man, as, as Josh was talking about earlier, Jesus was going to the city saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Man, this is something that we're celebrating. Next week is Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ, man. How many know we got the victory in Jesus? I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Hey, we're in week three of the series called Courageous, and uh, my name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here at Coast Community Church, so I'm excited to be with you guys today speaking. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, I had a bone to pick with, with, with Pastor TJ earlier today because, because he— he put me after Shayla. And that's just not fair because he, there's two things here. Number one, that's like his favorite preacher, okay? And two, going after her is kind of like setting me up for failure. It's not, just it's not fair. So anyway, hey, man, we're, we're in this week three called Courageous. I'm excited about this. It's been a series I've been really enjoying because it's been challenging me personally. I've been looking at introspectively at my life and seeing what are some areas that I need to change in my life, what are some areas that I need to be courageous in and change in my life. Because that's what it's all about. And today we're going to look at Saul. Saul Saul, the persecutor. We're going to look at his life. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to launch from there. Um, it's a long passage that we're going to read in a moment. But before we read that, I, w- I want to give you a little bit of a, a brief history on Saul. Because to see this road to Damascus experience that we're going to read about you have to understand the magnitude and the significance of his upbringing and why this is such a, a, such a big miracle to have this, this conversion on the road to Damascus. So let me give you a little bit of history about Saul. Saul was born around 2 B.C., which means he was born around the time of Christ. And nowhere in the Scripture could I find that Saul and Jesus met in person before his road to Damascus experience. But, so that, he was born around 2 B.C., so that he was born around the time of Christ. Uh, He was born in in Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was a a large city within the Roman Empire. It was about 500,000 people, so that meant that there was it was a thriving city, that it was a big city in the Roman Empire. Now, as I was studying this, I, I learned something. So, if there's something that you take away from this today, that if you don't take anything else away, the word ghetto, the word ghetto, I learned, actually comes from the Jewish language. Now, when I think of ghetto, I think of America, I think of slums, I think of the hood, you know. But the word ghetto actually means a, a, a Jewish community within a Roman Empire. I thought it was pretty interesting. So when we talk about ghetto, don't they talk about America, okay? Hello. Anyway, so he was born, he was born in Tarsus. And what, what this says to me is that at a young age, Saul was a very educated young man because he learned two languages. Because if you're in a Roman Empire, most likely outside of your home, you, you spoke Greek because it was a Roman city. But inside his home, because his dad was a very strict Pharisee, that meant he probably spoke only Hebrew. So as I said, his dad was a very strict Pharisee. So as as Saul was growing up, there's a couple things that he probably observed. He probably observed Shabbat, which is a Jewish holiday. He probably participated in the ceremonial hand washing before every meal. Um, He probably ate kosher food before kosher food was a fad. You know, some of us do that he probably watched his father pray with the phylactery on his head. Now, the phylactery is like a little leather box that they wore while they were praying and they were studying the Scripture because his dad was a very strict Pharisee. So what it also tells me is that at a very young age, Saul was becoming very proficient in the Word of God because if his dad was a Pharisee, that's one thing that they really had to learn. He had to learn how to study the Scripture, learn how to apply the Scripture, learn how to apply God's law to his life. So he grew up in Tarsus, and about the age of 10, he was sent off to study under a guy named Gamaliel in in Jerusalem. Now, this is huge. This is big. And I want you guys to understand the significance of being asked to study under a a rabbi named Gamaliel, this Pharisee, because in Acts chapter 5, it says that that Gamaliel was, was a Pharisee and was respected among all. This is huge. That'd be like us as Christians, like if Billy Graham wrote us a letter and said, hey, I want you to come study underneath me. That's how big and significant this was because Gamaliel was well-respected among, among all. They knew that if you study under Gamaliel, you were going to be somebody someday because you actually had to, to listen and to study and show aptitude and you had to show drive and you had to show that as you were retaining this information that you could apply it. Literally, if you were a disciple of Gamaliel or any Pharisee or any rabbi, you literally, if they went to the bathroom, you went to the bathroom. It was that literal. I mean, I'm not joking. Like if they stood up, you stood up. If they studied the word of God, you studied the word of God. You had to understand. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible and be able to recite it back to your, to your rabbi. That's how intense this study was that Saul was participating in. So as he spent a couple years under a little long, a while under Gamaliel, he became a master of the law. So now here's Saul. We're going to pick up his, his story in Acts chapter 9. It's a, it's a long passage. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and follow along with me. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with me, you have the QR code, you can scan it, boop, there you go, it'll pop up on your phone, if you don't have it there, it'll be right there, okay, amen? So, Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters uh, uh, to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, the way was, was talking about following Jesus, being a Christ follower. So if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now let's pause there for a second. I found that very interesting as I was reading that Saul recognized this voice as a voice of authority. Because to call somebody Lord, you recognize that that is a voice of authority. And here Saul is a guy who's on his way to persecute people for following Jesus. hears his voice and says, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And Saul Saul has an interesting response. If we pick it up here, keep on going. He says, uh, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. Pause there again. We can see something here. Saul had the courage to put faith into action before he even knew what faith was about. Are you following me? Here's a guy, he's persecuting, he's going after everybody who's following Jesus, yet he has the courage and the faith to actually listen to the voice of God and go into Damascus and wait for his next instruction. That doesn't make sense. Sometimes God says something to us and speaks something into our lives and and, and says to do something, yet do we have the courage and the faith to listen to respond to God? So I like Saul's response because Saul, he said, okay, I'll, I'll go. So we'll continue on. He said, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias. He said, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go go to, to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Now, if I'm Ananias, you kind of get a a, a feeling that if God is telling you to go talk to a man that's persecuting people, you're probably like, hold up, Lord. (laughs) Uh, you really talking to me? I I don't know about all that. You can see his response here in verse 12. He said, Lord said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is the man, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to to their kings and, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road when you were coming, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. And I found that very interesting, because Saul had the faith and the courage to listen. Here it is, he's out to persecute people who who are following the way, but now he has the faith and the courage to listen to that same voice, that voice of Jesus, whom he's trying to, you know, destroy the work of God because he doesn't doesn't want this to continue, but he has the faith to listen to that voice and go to to Damascus. And here's the thing we got to understand, sometimes those missions that, That we're on, like Saul was on a mission to destroy what was going on with the advancement of Christ. Sometimes those those interruptions in our life they're not very convenient, and that's what I want you guys to understand this more. God interruptions are often pretty inconvenient. Saul had every opportunity to turn around and go back to what was comfortable for him. Think about this. Think about this. A light flashes. You can't see. You hear a voice, you might think you're going crazy. I don't know about you, but if that happened to me. I might think I'm going crazy. Can I get an amen? Y'all are pretty quiet this morning. Think about that. It would be easy for Saul to go back to Jerusalem, and to be around people that he knew. Say, can you help me make sense of this? I want to go back to Jerusalem because it's comfortable. People know me, and and, and here's something that happened in my life but I don't understand it. So chief priests, uh, fellow rabbis, uh, Pharisees, help me understand what the heck is going on. This doesn't make sense. It would be easy for Saul to do that. And sometimes when God interrupts us and and he gives us a vision or he calls us to do something or he makes a change in our plans, we get afraid. Why do we get afraid? Why do we get afraid of God's call on life? Because we're afraid of losing the perceived control that we have over our own life. That's why we get afraid, because here's the thing. God says, hey, listen, you think you're going to do this, but this is my plan for you. Oh, no, I don't don't know about that, Jesus. Hold on. That doesn't jive with me. That's not convenient for me right now. We feel like we're losing this perceived control over our life, but yet, really, do we have the control? So I love it, and we get afraid. Here's the thing. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. May not make sense. We may get a little afraid. But I like how 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says in the King James Version, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If we take a moment and we look at all the God interruptions throughout the Bible, and there's a lot of them, if we take a moment and we look at those, we can understand there's one common theme with a God interruption. That, God, that common theme is God interruptions always end up leading to life. Are you hear what I'm saying? God interruptions always end up leading to life. Let's take a look at a couple of examples. We can think of, you know, Joseph. I know we did a series last year called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. I had the opportunity and privilege to talk about Joseph Joseph is one of my favorite biblical mentors because I feel like I'm a lot like Joseph sometimes. God gave, God gave Joseph a vision and dream that he was going to be a ruler of a nation. And here Joseph like, hey, y'all going to bow down to me, suckers. God conveniently interrupts Joseph's life. He goes into a pit. That's not convenient. You told me I was going to be a ruler of a nation. He goes into a pit. Okay, now something positive happens he goes to Potiphar's house, and he's like, you know, everything's starting to look good, and, and things are starting to come a jive. Okay, maybe this is my stepping stone to the next phase of my life. Uh-uh, hold up. Potiphar's wife. If you don't know the story, she accused him of rape. He was thrown into prison. That doesn't make sense. That's not convenient. Got interruption. Okay, now he's in prison, and he helps some people out. He said, hey, man, don't forget about me. Don't forget about your boy Joseph. <laughs> For two more years, he's sitting in prison before Potiphar knows and finds out who he is. Now he's in the palace. Now Joseph's life is coming to full circle and he's in second command of Egypt. God interruptions always end up leading the life. We can look at Job. I like Job. Job. Job was a guy who had a wealthy business. He had everything going for him. He had cattle. He had houses. He had everything that you think. He was living a prosperous life. So here's the thing. And Joseph was a righteous man. <laughs> but yet a God interruption in his life doesn't make sense. It's not convenient. Loses everything. His friends tell him, hey, Job, curse God and die. Are you crazy? Here's what's going on. It doesn't make sense. I lose everything. But if you look at Joseph's story and you follow it, as he stays faithful to what God has called him to do, at the end of his story, God restored everything double portion. God interruptions lead to life. Jonah, you guys know Jonah. I ain't going to Nineveh. Mm. No, I'm not going to Nineveh, uh-uh. Okay, God says, okay. Swallow him up in a well. Here's Jonah in the belly of a whale for a couple days and probably think, God, this don't make sense. I don't want to go to Nineveh. as a revelation. The whale spits him out. There you go. Next thing you know, Jonah is over in Nineveh preaching and leads a city into repentance back to God. God interruptions lead to life. Are you following where I'm going with this? Saul. We're talking about Saul today. Here Saul is on a mission to destroy the things of God, to destroy what God is trying to do through Jesus, trying to destroy the gospel advancement. But yet God interrupts Saul's life with a light and a voice. And he gets baptized. It's interesting because when that happens, when God interrupts our life, it isn't convenient. And, and, and you might say, God, I, I, I love this relationship that I'm in. And I know you're telling me to get out of this relationship. I don't want to be interrupted. I love this guy. I love this girl. I really feel like they're the one for me. But God is saying they're not the one for you. And you keep ignoring that. That God interruption that God is trying to do in your life is going to lead to life. Some of you might be struggling with, hey, I know that this job is comfortable because I'm making a lot of money on this job. But yet God may be calling you to the ministry. I don't know. And it doesn't make sense because we always talk about money as being security, but the only security you have is in the hope of Christ. So, so I'm challenging you today and encouraging you today. If God is really trying to interrupt you, listen to that voice. If God, if you're on your road to Damascus and God is starting to speak to you, listen to that voice because it always ends up leading to life. But it takes faith. It takes faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Here Saul was blind, but yet he had the faith to respond to the voice of Jesus who who's out trying to persecute people following for. And, and, and what's interesting is that Saul also had the faith to allow other people to lead him when he couldn't see. There might be some people in your life, there's two types of people in your life. There's anchors and there's propellers. We have to determine which one is going to propel us and help them and let them help lead us to something and we have to cut the anchors off so we can keep moving forward. So here it is, Saul was blind, he had faith to respond. This isn't in your notes. My apologies. I didn't put it in there, but I want you guys to write it down, okay? Listen to this statement cuz I find it very profound. Amen. Here we go. In order to step toward your destiny, you have to step away from what's comfortable. In order for you to step towards your destiny, you have to be willing to step away from what's comfortable. You've you've heard us say it a lot here at Coastal, that God is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And and when you decide to follow the voice of God, it doesn't always make sense and it's not always comfortable. but, But guess what? You're going to end up leading to a life. Hmm. It would have been more convenient for Saul to go back to what was comfortable. But, but I like this. In order for him to understand what God had for him next, he had to be willing to go where he didn't know where he couldn't even see. See, it would be easier for us to keep going back to what we know. But here's the thing. When you have a God encounter, when you have an encounter with God, you literally have to choose to stay the same. You literally have to make a conscious effort to say, I'm not going to change. Because it is too good to have a God encounter and not want to see what God has planned for you next. So you literally have to choose to stay the same and not want to change. We can take another look uh, of another example of, of faith in action. We see Saul's faith in action to listen to the voice of God. We can look at Abraham, the father of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's faith. That's faith. Because sometimes when God says, hey, I want you to do this, I don't understand how to get this done, God. We talk about it in our staff all the time. We're just going to continue listening to the voice of God and go. It may not make sense, and we may not know how we're going to get there, well, we're going to listen to the voice of God. Abraham, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to go. Saul, I can't see, but I'm going to go. It takes faith. And in this, 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 this moment of faith, Saul was courageous. Saul was courageous. Now, why would I consider Saul being courageous? Why would I say that Saul was courageous? Because you're going to start to see the life transformation here. Here Saul is. On his way to persecute people, to take them back to Jerusalem, doesn't matter if they're man or woman, boy or girl, from Damascus to Jerusalem, that's a long trek. And back then there was no greyhounds. That was on foot, friends. You got to understand, here's Paul the persecutor. He gets baptized and his life starts to change. Why is he courageous? Because he was the persecutor, now he's subject to being persecuted. He's courageous. I want to encourage you because when you have an encounter with God, there's going to be some things in your life that start to change and the people around you aren't going to be comfortable with your change. Those decisions that you made before you had this encounter, you're not hanging out with the same crowd of people. You're not hanging out with the same crew and they're like, why are you always going to church? You're one of them Jesus freaks, <laughs> but you're the things you start to look at start to change when you have an encounter with Jesus. Why, why aren't you doing this anymore? Why are you always around? Why are you serving in your City? Why are you serving those people, those people? Because I'm following Christ. You can come along with me or you can stay here, but I'm going. There's going to be people that are not comfortable with the changes that take place in your life. That's just the truth. Jesus never promised that when you, when you have a relationship with this, it's going to be easy. But what he does promise is that he'll walk with you every step of the way. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He never promises you that you're going to have guilt-free days. He never promises that you're going to have days of glory all day, every day. No, but he promises that he's going to be with you every step of the way. I will never leave you or forsake you. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Mm. Hebrews 12.2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, it's courageous to follow God where he's leading you. And we can see that. We can see Saul the persecutor. And later on in Acts chapter 13, it doesn't really give a, 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 a very big description of, or explanation of why his name changes. It says Saul, a man named Paul. But we can start to see that now Saul, who is the persecutor, has now become Paul the advocator. Are you following me? doesn't make sense because there's not a big explanation, but again, it doesn't make sense that when you, you start to make decisions because your life has been impacted by Christ, that things are starting to change in your life. Saul, the persecutor, Paul, the advocator. Paul now has become a follower of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. What does it mean to be, to be a follower of Christ? No, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, I want to be a follower of Christ. I don't want to just be a Christian. Is this, a, is this just a Christian buzzword, to be a follower of Christ? You hear people say it. Is that the new Christian buzzword? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What it means is this. I want to give you some thoughts. A follower of Christ means that we're committed to growth not just the growth, personal growth, but we're committed to the growth of others around us. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So it's not just about us. It's not just about our own personal growth. It's about seeing other people become and have a better relationship and start to develop in their relationship with Jesus. A follower of Christ takes it upon them to make it their mission to see other people become devoted followers of Christ. 2 Peter Peter 3.18 says, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means that we're open to correction. You know, there's a scripture in Matthew that if you read it, it'll freak you out. Because it says that, hey, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And you look at it and you say, and it it goes on, it says, But but I prayed and people got healed in your name. I cast demons out in your name, Jesus. That's because there's power in the name of Jesus. But here's the thing. It, it, it'll mess with you because you're like, what do you mean? Well, how do I know I'm really a follower of Christ then? Because a the follower of Christ is open to correction. A follower of Christ has a repentant heart. The Bible says that we're not perfect. <laughs> that we sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. and makes it very clear. But a follower of Christ has a repentant heart. And I love what Proverbs 28, 13 says. It says like this, people who conceal their sin will not prosper, but if we confess and we turn from them, we'll receive mercy. We were never meant to do life alone. (laughs) And the decisions that you keep making on your own keep getting you the same results. It's time that we allow other people to help us. It's time that we allow Jesus to really help us because God will use other people to help you get to where you need to go. Saul's people didn't even know the voice of God, and yet they still led him to where he needed to be. So imagine having the right people in your life that care about you. Imagine having the right people in your life that can speak life into you to help you to get to where you need to go. We were never meant to do life alone. We were meant to do community together as followers of Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means a daily decision to seek Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. When you have an encounter with God, it is extremely hard to be quiet about it. If something has so impacted your life, it is hard to be quiet about it. You want to tell everybody about the impact That something's happened in life. Whether that's, I don't know, if you do CrossFit, you know a CrossFitter. I'm guilty. I'm a powerlifter. Now I talk about powerlifting all the time. But if something's impacted your life, it, it, it is extremely difficult to be quiet about it. Now I don't know where you guys are in your proverbial road to Damascus experience. No idea. I don't know your story. Some of your stories I do know. But I don't know where you are today. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. In a moment, I'm going I'm to give you that, that, the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. If you are, are one of those people who have been seeking and not sure, you're like, I, God, I'm not so, You know, I, I know, I know Jesus That I know, but I'm not ready yet. I want to encourage you that today's the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not next year, today is the day of salvation. Today. And I really believe there's some people that are wrestling with that. That are wrestling with that. They're like, in my heart, God, I'm feeling kind of anxious. Is that you speaking to me? Yes, it is. I'm I'm getting kind of sweaty. Hands are, my heart's racing. God, are you speaking to me? Yes, he is. It may be my voice, but God is actually pursuing you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, you might be that person who says, Terry, I've been that guy who's been wrestling with this decision to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, I want to have a relationship with you today. As I said earlier, he never never promises that it's going to be an easy life, but he does promise that he'll be with you, he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you because Christ is the hope that never disappoints. Today, if you want to allow Jesus to come into your heart, I I would encourage you just go ahead and lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wait a couple more seconds. Because this is a crucial moment. Getting up here to talk about all this stuff is fun, but this is what it really counts. This is what really matters is having that experience and that encounter with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Wait a couple more seconds. If you're wrestling in your heart, today is a day of salvation. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, everybody, Lord Jesus, today I believe that you're coming into my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm trusting you. Jesus, lead me. I'm believing you're with me. I thank you for being my Savior. In Jesus' name amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family. I want to to encourage you guys this morning. Next week is Easter. You don't know where your friends are on their road to Damascus. You don't know where your co-workers are on the road to Damascus. You don't know where they are in their walk with Jesus. You might think that they're followers of Christ. That's not for us to judge, but inside they may really be hurting. As followers of Christ, we are advocates. Invite them to come to church. Give them the opportunity to have their experience with Jesus. Next week is Easter, man. That's like the most popular day that Pastor TJ said earlier. 82% of the people you invite will come. It's like the Super Bowl Sunday. They gave me the warm up this Sunday. Next week is a good Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Invite your friends, man. Those of you who prayed that prayer today, man, we have people in the back that want to pray with you, that want to talk to you, that want to give you something to get you started on the right track. Get connected in community. That's like one of the most important things that you can do. Once you say, "Hey, I want, I I need, I need community. I want to, I want Jesus, this Jesus thing to be real in my life." Get into a community because that's what it's all about. Proud of you guys. God bless you.